Well, Father, we come before you and we want to give glory to your name. And Father, that is our heart's desire and we thank you for your spoken word given to us in scripture that lets us know how to do so. And so as we listen, we pray that our hearts will be engaged, our mind will be transformed. I pray that this message will be clear in Christ's name. Amen. Now, have you ever heard the phrase, blood is thicker than water? Oh, some of you have. And you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, right? That blood relations seem to supersede all other relations. And when you kind of break down the phrase, you kind of understand what it means because we all know that blood speaks of blood relations and family relations, right? We understand that blood is thick, but what is water doing in there? Well, from my research, which is basically Googling the phrase into, you know, into my computer and seeing what it gives me, uh, this is the likely origin of it. It comes from a medieval German epic, and there's a line that says, kin blood is not spoiled by water. Now, in the context of that story, it says this, family blood has not erased the waters of baptism. Isn't that interesting? So when they're saying that blood is thicker than water, they're saying that ties that bind you to your family are stronger than the ties that bind you to the Lord through baptism. Blood is thicker than water. Now, it is true that when you grow up, you're brought into this world by your mother, you're raised by your mother and father, you, have taught to, you were taught to fear them from an early age, right? Their words meant everything to you. You were known by your relation to your parents. Now, aren't you Dave's boy? Aren't you Karen's son? Your parents provided for you, looked out for you. When you grow up with your brothers and sisters, you all share this world that only you know. You know, this is why even if you have difficult relationships with your siblings or with your parents, there's something within you where you really can't break them, right? Blood is thicker than water. But as strong as those bonds may be, there is a bond that must be stronger. And we're introduced to this in Luke 8, 19 through 21. If you haven't turned there, please do. Luke 8, 19 through 21. Jesus is preaching. This is after the parable of the sowers and the mention of the light and the lamp. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now this is capping off a, a section that's really devoted to the idea of your response to the Word of God. When the Word of God is spoken, when the Word of God is heard, how is it received? Right? Are you like the, uh, the road where the Word of God just bounces off of you? Are you like the rocky soil where it takes a little bit of root, springs up, then dies when there's trials and tribulations? It, 
Is it like the word of God on the weedy soil where the concerns and cares of this life just, just choke it out? Or are you like the good soil that yields a hundredfold? Then after that, he talks about the no one who lights a lamp puts it under a basket, but you put it on a stand so it gives light to all who are in the house. And those who want the light will get more light, right? If you're drawn to Scripture and the scriptural teaching, you want more of it and God will happily give it to you, right? It's all about how you receive the word. But in this passage, he makes a declaration of what happens to you when you receive the word. You become his mother and his brother. Obvious implication, God becomes your father. You become a a new family, now, this is not necessarily a repudiation of the, the family. Like, remember how Paul talks about how marriage is a picture of Christ in the church? Marriage points to something greater. That doesn't denigrate marriage, but it says as great as marriage is, it points to an even better, fuller reality. In the same way, When Jesus talks about the family here, he's not denigrating the family. But he is pointing to what families ultimately point to, which is the eternal family, the family of God. And in this family, blood is not thicker than water, but water is thicker than blood. So this is what we're going to do. We are going to survey this passage and we're going to look at the expectation of the family And then the explanation of the family. And then I have four implications of this phrase, that water is thicker than blood. So let's look at the first point, the expectation of family, starting verse 19 through 20. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Now, from what we gather in this context, Jesus is teaching, he's preaching, he's doing the Jesus thing, and when this happens, a crowd begins to envelop him. And this is the thing with crowds. Crowds are often formed with the first people being part of the inner circle, and then as you come later, you get stacked beyond and further from him. And so he's ministering to this crowd that it was already assembled when his mother and his brothers, his family, shows up on the scene. They come in late. And they have an expectation that Jesus will pause what he's doing to make time for them because blood is thicker than water. And if that's true now, it was truer in Israel. I mean, you guys all read the genealogies that they have. I mean, they were fixated on who you were related to. Being a descendant of Abraham gave you a special position in the plan of God. Depending on which son of Abraham, well, the 12 tribes of Judah, sons of Jacob, you were related to, that determined where you lived, what you did for a living. It influenced who you married. You were taught a trade by your father. You were expected to help out with the family business, whatever that may be. 
Proverbs teaches that the glory of children is their father, and a foolish son is a grief to his mother, right? Your family was part of your identity. You'd have a first name, and then your first name was basically matched by who your father is, right? Anderson, Johnson. We kind of do the same thing. And so these, this, this close tie, these close families would often come with an expectation, right? Where what you did influenced the family. To have a good family name was very important. And Jesus is preaching throughout Judea, and we know from Mark that his family wanted to do a little intervention. They thought that he's out of his mind. Now, Luke doesn't emphasize this because I think Luke wants to bring up the, the expectations of the family, that the family thought that they should have priority and privileged access to Jesus because blood is thicker than water. Now, this brings up a, a question. Any of you grow up in a Catholic background, right? When you look at this, you see Mary and Jesus' brothers. Now, we all know who Mary is. Mary is the mother of Jesus. But then you have this reference to brothers. Did Jesus have brothers? And if you come from a Catholic background, this is kind of a disturbing passage because you believe that Mary was a perpetual virgin, that she was a virgin before she gave birth to Jesus, and she is a virgin and remains a virgin after she gave birth to Jesus. So if he had brothers, how could this be? Well, the fact that he had brothers is undeniable. In Acts 1.14, we see that the followers of Jesus gather in the upper room with Mary and his brothers. In Matthew 13, 55 through 56, Jesus' hometown identifies Jesus with this. Is this not the carpenter's son, which would be Joseph? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not his sisters with us? Right? He had brothers and he had sisters. So even though Catholic dogma says that Mary stayed a virgin forever, that's not supported by Scripture. It's made very clear in Matthew 1, 24-25. Joseph has a dream that he is to take Mary as his wife, but to know her not until she gives birth to his son. In fact, I'll just read you the passage. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife and he knew her not. That's... Uh, a discreet way of referring to intimacy, knew her not, until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. Right? He knew her not until. Right? I was a bachelor until I married Becky. Right? Until means up to the point, but not necessarily beyond. So in this case, yes, Jesus had half-brothers. These were Joseph's children, and Joseph, because he's not mentioned in the adult ministry of Jesus, likely passed away. Jesus is the oldest son. He has this teaching ministry, and his mother and his brothers want to have access to Jesus. They show up late. There's a crowd around them. It doesn't matter. We're family. We're family, right? And we know the story. I came across a interesting correspondence between John F. Kennedy and his mother Rose, okay? Dated November 3rd, 1962. This is what JFK wrote to his mother. Dear mother, 
I signed today the pictures from Khrushchev. You know who Khrushchev is? Nikita Khrushchev, Soviet premier, arch enemy of the United States at the time. I signed today the pictures from Khrushchev. Would you be sure to let me know in any future contacts you have with the heads of state, etc., concerning requests for pictures, signatures, etc.? Requests of this nature are subject to interpretations and therefore I would like to have you clear them before they are sent. So this is what's happening. His mother thinks, my son's the president. I would like to get autographs from world leaders. So I'll send pictures of my son meeting with this world leaders and get Khrushchev to sign them and then get my son to sign them. Now this is in the height of the Cold War where there is speculation of Soviet spies in the presidential administration and his mom is writing to the premier, right? The facepalm, mom, what are you doing? Well, I just thought it'd be okay. You're my son, it's all right, right? That, that's the way it works. Have you guys ever been there? Don't make any, nobody's gesturing right now, but it's like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Dave. My mother would never do something like that. Right, but this blood's thicker than water. Being a family has this privilege. I raised you, I can do what I want. Yeah, and, and that's the way families often work. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. They want access to him. Being family means that they have a special obligation. Blood is thicker than water. I mean, I find it interesting that you may come from a dysfunctional family, but you still celebrate Christmas together. Do you guys have dysfunctional friend get-togethers? Yeah, we all can't stand each other, but we're friends, so we still get together. You don't have dysfunctional friend get-togethers. You just don't get together. But there's something about the power of the family, right? Or even though we don't like each other, we're family. That's that strong bond. It, it is that obligation which is good and which is right. The problem is when you think that blood is thicker than water, that your relationship with your family supersedes your relationship to God's family. That's the problem. And that's why Jesus re-explains the family. Look at verse 21. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus agrees that family comes first. But then he redefines the family. And this is actually not a new thought to Mary. Do you guys remember... Luke chapter 2, at the very end, there's the only childhood story of Jesus. Mary and Joseph take Jesus to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. They have a great time honoring, worshiping God, connecting with family, doing all the Passover festivities. They make their way back, and in a classic case of, I thought it was your job, they find out that Jesus is still in Jerusalem. So they turn around, they go back to Jerusalem, and you can just 
you can just imagine the temperature rising and the increased levels of anxiety with Joseph and Mary thinking about what they're going to do to Jesus when they find him. And in 228, they find him, and this is what Mary tells Jesus, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Right? You could see it. And then this is how Jesus answered in verse 49. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Did you catch that? Yes, mom and dad, I have an obligation to you. But I have an even greater obligation to my heavenly father. My heavenly father wanted me to learn the scriptures from the finest teachers in the land. My heavenly father wanted me to stay in the temple to learn and to grow. Water is thicker than blood. And this would prepare Jesus to fulfill the mission given to him. Ultimately, yes, he answered to his mom and dad, but he had a a greater need. He had a greater family. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, this would be stunning to the people of Israel. Do you know why Israel is called Israel? Because all descend from who? Israel, otherwise known as Jacob, who descended from Isaac, and you go back to Abraham, right? Father Abraham had many sons. Don't sing the rest. Right? Abraham, who you were related to, who you descended from, was determinative. To be born into Israel gave you great rights and privileges. And if you were not born into the promised line, there would be some hope. You would have to convert. And conversion was rather arduous because of certain rites like circumcision. There's hope for you. It was a longer process. But when you were born a Jew, born a son of Abraham, when you had that blood relation, that's what mattered. Right? And that can lead to some complacency, right? We have Abraham as our father. Right? We don't need to hear you. We are righteous because who we're related to. It could be exclusionary, where you don't have Abraham as your father, therefore the kingdom of God is not for you. But what Jesus says is this, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and Do it. If you hear my word, you hear the gospel message, and you obey it, do it, you are my family. Now, one thing with family is family determined everything about you, right? It determined what you did. You received an inheritance from your father, and you passed on your inheritance to your sons. Isn't it interesting that Jesus never had physical children? Jesus the King, Jesus the Messiah, never had physical children. Now, part of that can be explained by the fact that he rose again, would never die. He had an unending reign, right? 
Therefore, he didn't have to have children to pass on his inheritance to. But you know, Jesus still has an inheritance to pass on. You ever thought about that? You might be anticipating some great inheritance from your parents. But the inheritance that counts is the kingdom of God. And and you look at this whole, your inheritance, your inheritance, your inheritance is given to you by right of sonship. You are adopted into the family of God, and therefore you receive the inheritance. And this is available to all who hear the word, and they do it. And it's not so much working your way for righteousness, but when you hear the gospel, when you hear the good news that even though you have sinned against God, even though you deserve the wrath of God, even though you deserve to go to hell, as Floyd pointed out, God still loves you in spite of you. He sent his son to live the perfect life you should have lived. He died the death you should have died on the cross when he endured the wrath of God. It should have been you. And then he rose from the dead. And if you believe that, embrace it, and obey the call to follow Jesus, you will be adopted into the spiritual family. You'll receive the grand inheritance of the kingdom of God. You will rule with him. Isn't that great news? You see, your relationship with God is not defined by your physical bloodline. It's open to anyone to become part of the spiritual family you hear and obey the Word of God. And this has many implications, but I want to give you four. Okay? Implications of water being thicker than blood. First implication is this. God is not your grandpa, okay? God is not your grandpa. God does not have grandchildren. Do you know that? He has sons, he has daughters. He does not have grandsons, he does not have granddaughters. Now, I want to speak to those of you who who grew up as children of believing parents. You grew up as children in the church, Uh, you have been given awesome spiritual privileges. I always tell my children, you have no idea how good you have it. And they are appreciative. They're great kids. But it's an awesome spiritual privilege to grow up in a home where the gospel is believed and taught. Where, however imperfectly it may be expressed, your mom joyfully submits to the leadership of your dad, and your dad, however imperfectly expresses it, loves or tries to love your mother as Christ loved the church. That is privilege. That is a blessing. And you may think that if you were to go to heaven, God might recognize you as as Scott's daughter or Dave's son. Oh, yeah, come on in by virtue of who you're related to. But who you're related to, as we see in this passage, does not define your relationship with the Lord. You need Jesus just as much as a local drug dealer. You need to turn from your sin just as much as anybody else. Too much is given, much is required. If you've been given a wonderful family, You've been raised in a Christian home. Praise 
God for that. But there's a stewardship, and at some point in time, you have to own it. Don't assume that because of your parents and because of your bloodline that you will get in on that basis alone. Don't think, I'll eventually get in because of my relationship with my family. Today's the day of salvation. You know it all. You can have it all. God doesn't have grandchildren. Make the commitment today so that God will not just be your grandpa, but your father. Okay, that's number one. Secondly, your family background does not deny kingdom privileges. Some of you did not grow up in a Christian family. Your parents did their best. They tried with what they had, but they were not good people. Your mother may have been an alcoholic. Your dad may be in prison. And you may think, I really don't have a lot to speak for when it comes to my family. Well, if that's you, I want to take you to 1 Corinthians 1, 26-27. Paul says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Now notice, not many of you were wise. There's not many geniuses out here, right? Depending on how you look at it, this is either the most encouraging or discouraging verse in the Bible, right? We're all just simple folk. Not many were powerful. Not many people were elite. And then not many people were of noble birth. Right? We, this was the day and age where there was an aristocracy and a class consciousness where who you were born to said everything about you. And, and in an aristocracy, there's kind of this desire to maintain this privileged status so that all wealth and power are, are concentrated in what's defined as this upper tier of society. And so, we may not have a meritocracy in America. We, we do have elites. I read an interesting article about Nepo babies. You ever heard that term? Apparently, in Hollywood, there's kind of this discussion about how, you know, this child may have his mother's eyes, but her father's agent, right? Where the sons of actors and actresses and directors are the ones who get breaks that other people don't get. And that's kind of a metaphor for how a lot of society works. If you want to get into Harvard, for instance, it's very difficult to unless your mother or your father went there, right? There is kind of this class consciousness, this aristocracy, even in Emporia. If you have a certain last name, you're probably treated a little bit letter, better than, than others. You can even have that in the church where you have, let's say, power families, and everyone feels like they have to kind of please them as well. And if you don't have that noble birth, if your parents are of no consequence, if your dad's in jail, if your mother was an alcoholic, if you have, let's say, mental illness that runs into your family, runs in your family, you think, well, I'm done for. That's my destiny. It's done. But who are the mother and brothers? Those who hear the word and do it. You might think that you are at some sort of genetic disadvantage. Right? If two geniuses marry, they'll have genius children. If you have two athletes who marry, 
I mean, hire a sports agent when they're four. But what about two people who live broken lives? They don't marry. Both of them are addicted to substances. Is there any hope for that person? What if mental illness runs in the family? Is there any hope for that person? See, who you're related to does not damn you. The offer for adoption stands. God offers himself to be your father. Jesus will be your brother if you hear and obey the word of God. Now, there's another element to this as well. Your spiritual family needs to be treated as well, if not better, than your physical family. Your spiritual family needs to be treated as well, if not better, than your physical family. Now, I want to be clear here. Jesus does not repudiate family bonds. Remember in Luke chapter 2, how he tells his mother that I have to obey my father's will? Well, a couple verses later, we read this in, in Luke 2, 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Notice, he obeys his father's will when it's in conflict with his parents' will, but when it's not, he resumes obeying his parents. Jesus chastises the Pharisees who found this whole workaround where they decided that they did not have to support their parents. They could say all the money that they would be spending on taking care of their aging parents, they declared Corbin dedicated to the Lord so that they could keep it to themselves. Jesus says, you guys need to pay up. You need to honor your, your parents. Don't give me this whole thing that you're going to give to the Lord, what really you should be using to honor them. Jesus wants you to honor your parents. Paul, in 1 Timothy 5.8 says that if you do not provide for your own household, you're worse than an unbeliever. And the idea is don't use the church's money to pay for people when the family should be doing that job, right? If you don't provide for your children, who do you expect to do so? If you don't help out your aging parents, who should you expect to do so? Those family bonds are appropriately strong, okay? Now, some of you, your family consists of believers. You are in that blessed state where these strong family bonds are also matched with a strong spiritual bond. Now, what I would challenge you to do if this is you is to realize that there are people floating around, widows and orphans, people with no spiritual family, with no spiritual children, no spiritual mothers, no spiritual fathers, who need one. Is there room in your life to expand the family to include them? If you would help your brother move, would you help your spiritual brother move? If your 
mother gets lonely and needs a phone call, what about your spiritual mother? If you would give advice and fatherly counsel to your actual son, what about your spiritual son? You see, we are a family. And honestly, I think our church does an outstanding job of meeting the needs of people in our family, rallying around and being the family when they don't have it. I think that's part of the reason why many of you do whatever you can to try to stay because you see this as family, and, that's, and that is a, a good thing. But I think what this also does is this kind of pushes back on some people lightening their commitment to the church, backing off on their commitment to the church because of their commitment to family. I can't go to church today because I need to spend time with my family. What's wrong with that statement? The church is your family. Does that make sense? So if you find yourself excusing yourself from spiritual commitments because you're spending time with family, you need to rethink that. What your family needs more than anything is a strong, robust spiritual commitment to those who you will share eternity with. As great as family is, that family relationship will be severed at some point in time. The unsevered family, the permanent family, is going to be with all those who hear the word of God and do it. Does that make sense? So by all means, by all means, love your family, be devoted to your family, but realize that that is a picture of the greater family, just like Love your wife, love your husband, but that's a picture of the greater reality, right? Don't diminish one. Don't diminish the spiritual greater reality because of this lesser reality. And then the fourth implication is this. Sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, you have to choose Christ over family. Sometimes you have to choose Christ over family. When Jesus says, whoever hears my word and obeys them, that's my mother and father's, there, there's some implications. There are times, as Jesus has already demonstrated, where he has to displease his family, displease his mother, displease his father, because he answers to who? The greater father. Ath Shin Ziafat grew up in a devout Muslim home. He actually emigrated from Iran. Grew up in Texas and was very close to his, his family. And his father was a very devout, committed Muslim. While he was in high school, some conversation with Christians led to an awakening of spiritual curiosity he would read his Bible. He'd go to a youth group. Uh, he would argue back and forth with other Christians. And finally, at an evangelistic crusade, he gave his life to Christ. And when that happened, one of the thoughts that terrified him is, what am I going to tell my father? And so he decided to punt and basically keep his spiritual transformation a secret. He read his Bible when nobody else was awake. He would go to 
church and sneak out of the house and not tell his parents where he was going. He even intercepted the mail in case there was any correspondence from the church. Well, one day, his dad finally noticed Afshin's Bible, noticed some changes as a son, and, and sat down and asked him, Son, what's going on? There's something different about you. Well, Dad, I'm a Christian. To which his dad said, No, you're not, young man. You're a Muslim, and you will always be a Muslim. Afshin said, Dad, the Bible says that if I trust in Christ alone for my salvation, then I'm a Christian, and I do. Then his dad said, Afshin, if you're going to be a Christian, then you can no longer be my son. Now, what do you do? He loved his father. He respected his father. That a tight, committed family. And he thought to himself, you know what? I ought to just say, forget it. But Afshin said this, Dad, if I have to choose between you and Jesus, then I choose Jesus. And if I have to choose between my earthly father and my heavenly father, then I choose my heavenly father. And he was disowned on the spot. Jesus says in Luke 12, 53, they will be divided, father against son and son against father and mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. So here is Afshin, became a Christian, and he was orphaned. He was orphaned. He had no family to speak of, or did he? Or did he? Well, when he went off to college, his roommate, as he discovered, also was a Muslim background believer and was also disowned by his family. They became like brothers. Afshin pursued seminary, and a wealthy businessman from Dallas financed the whole thing, provided for him. The church became his family. You see, and that's part of the reason why we don't limit our love and our affection for just our family. There's orphans out there who need fathers, who need mothers, who need brothers, who need sisters. Jesus says in Luke 18, 29 through 30, And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and the age to come, eternal life. Right? I thank God for my family. I love my parents. I love my brother and my sisters. I love my children, love my wife. But you know what? Ultimately, the greater love and affection is reserved for who? For God. And when you love God and I love God, then naturally we're going to love each other because we love the same person, right? And as much as you love your family, if they don't love God, there is this wall between you, and you love to love them too, God. And there's many, many tales of faithful sons and daughters who keep on reaching out to resistant family members until they come around, right? And that's, that's a wonderful thing. But you can't allow that commitment to overwhelm this commitment right? The greater calling is that we are part of a spiritual family. 
And much of that love and affection that we have for our children and for our parents and for our brothers and sisters, which is good and right, needs to be extended to all those as well. Ultimately, in eternity, who will be our brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers? Right? It's going to be those who hear the word of God and do it. So is blood thicker than water? According to the Bible, water, as in, you know, the waters of baptism or the waters of conversion, right? Water is thicker than blood. Let's pray. Well, Father, we come before you just grateful for the short but pithy lesson from Jesus. And I pray that this will be something that will just orient us to see the church, to see the gospel, and to see each other as you would have us to see each other. I, I, I pray that our church will be family to those who need it. I thank you for just the loyal, steadfast commitment so many of these brothers and sisters have uh, towards each other, and they really see each other as family. And I pray that we'll be a, a hospitable family. I pray for anybody who's on the outside looking in, somebody who needs a family, that we will be family to them. And I pray that they will be family to you by hearing the gospel, embracing it, and being committed to it. Lord, give us the grace to live out this reality in Jesus' name. Amen.